0: Welcome to this production from College Place United Methodist Church. To find out more about our church, please visit our website at www.collegeplaceumc.org. And now here's our sermon from Reverend Tab Miller. Um, we, are, we are in a season where we have been discussing giving. We're discussing what it means to give to our church, what it means to give to the gospel. And yet, there's one more question that I haven't asked that I want to end with this week in our series, on Giving, is what do you give when you feel like you have nothing left to give? What do you give when everything is gone or what you do have seems like? It won't serve any purpose. Now, before we talk about giving when we are at the end of ourselves, let's talk about what we normally do when we think about being at the end of ourselves. As a matter of fact, we don't often think about it. On a personal level, most people will be horrified by the idea of loss and destruction upon ourselves. We don't want to think about what it would mean to lose our home to fire or flood. We don't want to know what it means to lose our livelihood because of injury or because of a failing economy. We certainly don't want to know or think about what it means for our life to end shorter than we would hope because of disease or an accident. We would rather not think about these things. And psychologists tell us that we actually have a built-in mechanism that when our mind begins to wander in the direction of losing ourself, losing our life, we tend to have mechanisms to distract us. We begin to think about other things. Our mind will turn. A healthy mind will turn away from those things. Sometimes our unhealthy mind fascinates on what could go wrong in our life. But a healthy human mind actually turns away from thinking about loss. So we might assume having known that about ourselves, that if we were to think about destruction and loss, maybe on a global scale, not just the end of me, but the end of everything, that somehow this would amplify our fear where we would not think about that at all. But on the other hand, it seems that we are fascinated by the eventual end of all things. While somewhere in our psyche we kick out the thought of our own end, We are fascinated by the idea of the apocalypse, as we call it. And the more our political and natural environments seem, it doesn't have to naturally be the case, but the more they seem to be falling apart around us, the more intrigued we all are at thinking about the end. Just think about the proliferation of apocalyptic movies and television. Over the last few decades. Movies about asteroids hitting the planet perhaps. Great floods, nuclear wars or plagues (laughs) leading to the zombie apocalypse. I mean there's a whole industry that drags in millions upon millions of dollars every year. Based on human fascination with the end. For many years now one of the number one TV shows on television has been what? The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead, which is a post-apocalyptic show, which means the end of the world, at least as we know it. So while we won't linger on our own demise, we will gladly embrace our collective end. And this is true even for Christians. Christians, we don't sit around and think about our death and welcome it. That would be morbid. We don't welcome it in the sense of, oh, I'm ready to die. I want to die right now. We might look forward to the day that we get to go and be with the Father, but we are not so morbid as to go, I wish it was all over now, or at least we shouldn't be. But even our Christian movement in America has a whole industry built upon the apocalypse. We have fiction and nonfiction books and movies talking about our view or what we might think or certain theologies think about the end. And it too is a multi-million dollar industry. And while we won't welcome our own end gladly, how many Christians do you hear on a regular basis welcome the end? Oh, I just cannot wait. Lord Jesus, come now. Come now and end it all. I'm tired of this planet. I'm, I'm, I'm weary from being here. And I, and I would think that when we say that, there's a side of that that's a good thing. Of course we should want Jesus to be all in all. Of course we should want him to finally right the the wrongs of the world and set the world at right, back to where it should be. But sometimes I think there is something less innocent in the call of saying, God just ended all now. Sometimes I wonder. Now I'll get back to that in a moment. But our text this morning is in fact a piece of apocalyptic literature it takes on a, it's in the gospel, but it takes on the feel of other areas of scripture where the apocalypse is being talked about. And the sort of sense of relief that most of us are saying we want when we say, God, come now. Jesus, come now and end it all, isn't offered to us here in this scripture reading. It does offer a sense of comfort, but not the one we're often looking for. So let's read together from the gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. It might just be 1 through 8 on the screen, but I'm going to read through 10. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will this be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. As for yourself, beware, for they will hand you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them. And the good news must first be proclaimed to all nations. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is a great text for Bible Sunday. The good news must be proclaimed to all the nations. But when I was reading that, that was not what we kind of focusing in on. We're hearing wars and rumors of wars and tragedy and all this stuff. But it ends with the fact that the gospel continues on. What Jesus and the New Testament do when they talk about the end, when the writers of the New Testament and Jesus himself talks about the end... They sort of put a new spin on it for the people of God, especially in this day and time. And many found Jesus' view of the end very, very frustrating. As a matter of fact, a lot of people could not accept his vision of the end and therefore rejected Jesus. They rejected Jesus as Messiah because Messiah was an end-time figure. He was an eschatological figure, as theologians would say. And his version of what was going to happen in his end time movement was not what the Jewish community was looking for. You see, for the Jewish community then, and I think a lot of modern Christians today, what we want is for the end to happen in our lifetime and for it to be a clear and clean break. And maybe it will be in our lifetime, I don't know. But what if it isn't? Jesus had to, had to have them embrace that it would not be perhaps as swift as they wanted it to be. What the Jewish community was looking for was a movement that the Messiah would bring to conquer the world, clear-cut, bam, powers like Assyria and Babylon and Rome at that time would be no more. It would, he would put an end to it right then and there Evil power wouldn't have no place. And Messiah would be king over all. And peace would be full. God's shalom would be amongst us. And it would be most important to them, very swift. But when Jesus comes to talk about his kingdom movement... You see, the kingdom of God ushers in the end of time. Because the kingdom of God replaces this current evil age. And when Jesus comes to talk about the end and the kingdom of God... He says of his theology, it's a now, not yet theology. My thoughts of the end time is now, not yet. What does this mean? For Jesus himself, when he introduced the idea of his gospel, when he said, this is my gospel, he called it the gospel of the kingdom of God. And in chapter 1 of Mark, we're reading in Mark this week, in chapter 1, He says to everyone, and when he enters the scene, the first thing Jesus says is, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, when we hear the term near, or we hear the term at hand, as some translations have it, a lot of us would think in the statement of Temporality, in sense of timeline, as if it's coming soon. And in many ways, Jesus is indeed saying this, but that's not merely what he's saying. He's not just saying, my kingdom is coming soon. He was saying, the kingdom of God is near you because I am the king, and your king is here. The kingdom of God is close at hand. It is near you in terms of proximity. And I am beginning my kingdom movement. I am ushering in the end of time right now in a movement in you. A new revolution is beginning in you. It is time to go forth and spread the kingdom of God. And Israel would have thought, finally it's all going to be over. But Jesus comes, he dies, he's risen, and yet Rome still stands at least for a time. And even 2,000 years later, we're talking about the kingdom of God, and we live in the present evil age that is still amongst us. And yet, the New Testament and Jesus, including uh, New Testament writers, including Paul, spoke as if they were living in the end times. Jesus is helping us rethink the end in terms of now, not yet. The end comes. ...as a process, as a movement of Jesus in which he ushers in his kingdom. So is God's kingdom here or is it not? The answer is a resounding yes and the answer is a resounding no. Because the kingdom is here in every one of you if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. If you've called upon his name, he has brought salvation to you and the kingdom of God is truly near... Every time we see healing in this world it's the act of the king working out peace through his kingdom movement and the kingdom of God is here. And yet we still live in a fallen world. And Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is now. But he also tells us not to forget that there will be a day where he will be all in all. And there will be a clean break. And sin will end. And there will be... A king over all. All the earth and all of heaven. And Jesus will be all in all. So in one sense, it is here now with us. But in this sense, of it being final and complete, not yet. Not yet. He is still yet to make all things new for us. Can you see why this might be frustrating for Israel? They wanted that clean break. They wanted that relief. And Jesus was not giving it to them. He was saying... No, as a matter of fact, part of my movement for you as the kingdom of God is to march out into that dark and lonely world. And so this is why I say for some of us, I question, even when I say it, I welcome the end. Because there is a delay in the end for one clear reason. Jesus' mission. Many still need to be invited into the kingdom of God by you. If you're still here and you're caught of Christ, you still have a story to tell. You still have a gospel to give. So to those who would say, I welcome the end. I think Jesus is saying back, that's well and good. I'm glad you welcome my final piece. But I have been teaching you that that's not what this is all about. Your comfort isn't everything. I have been teaching you that things will get harder. But in you, you already have a promise that I am the good news and that I am victorious. Can you cling to that even while things are still tough? So let me ask you a question. If you had the chance, if you, if God gave you the red button and you could call the end, you could call game over, you could stop the clock, would you do it right away? And I think many of us would say yes. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're saying yes because... We just don't, we're weary of this world. But what is that implicitly saying about the mission that you have today? What about those people that you're still supposed to tell about the kingdom of God? If you push that red button, it's almost like saying to hell with them. Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples saying, I'm preparing you for a full life of sacrifice for the sake of others. You have to carry your cross. As I carried my cross to the end, not willing to quit until my Father's will was done. I want you to be those who carry your cross till my Father's will is done in you. And so he asked his disciples, can you drink from my cup? We often partake of the cup of Christ in a symbolic way at the table. Jesus' cup offers us life. But think about this. It's the life of Jesus that you're in you're not just being giving a life you're being giving the life of Jesus Christ and if his life was any indication of what life in Christ will be like for us then it's a life where we put ourselves aside we do not run from trouble and we go the way of the cross for the sake of a lost and dying world the comfort isn't in the escape from this world to get to heaven only That'll, that'll come. But the comfort is in knowing that Christ is with us. If we're so heavily minded that we're no earthly good, well, then we're no earthly good, as some theologians have said. As long as you're here on earth, you have a mission. I don't want you to feel guilty for being wary and for wanting that final peace of God. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In many ways, that means, Jesus, I want your kingdom to come in through my life now. And I want to see your kingdom spread in the lives of others here and now. And it is also saying, Christ, I look forward to the day where you're all in all. Don't feel guilty for thinking that way. But just know that that that's not the answer. You can't just sit around and wait. And if you were wary of marching out into a lost and dying world, Jesus understands Before he went to his cross, he asked for the cup to be passed from him if there was any way for the mission to be complete, as God wanted, and he didn't have to do it. But then Jesus shows us by example, when you feel this way, keep on going and say this, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Jesus is teaching us what it means to live in the end times. Jesus is showing us what The signs will be institutions and nations and churches and our culture and our nation may be degrading around us. And is it then when he'll swoop us up? That's what most of us think. And then Jesus gives them a reality, a wake-up call. See, they're looking at, the, the Israelites are looking at the temple, even with the disciples. As long as these buildings stand, and look how splendid they are. We have a physical sign in Israel that we're still operational. We have hope. And Jesus says, that's a misplaced hope because this will fall. And the Israelites are thinking, the disciples are thinking, if this place falls, surely that's the end. And so they say, when will this all be accomplished? That's language of, when will this all end? And Jesus says, you want to know when it's all going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Beware that no one leads you astray, because many will come in my name and say, I am he. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed. The end is still to come. Nations will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdoms, and there will be earthquakes and famines. Do you hear that list? False prophets, wars, wars that consume the news, nations rising up and nations falling, disasters coming naturally, starvation happening around the world... And then it's all going to be over, Jesus says. Actually, no. Aren't these the signs that we say when we see them? I know, I know it has to be any day now. Jesus says, no. This is just the birth pangs. But don't worry, Jesus says, because you're not going to suffer. Actually, no. He says, as for yourselves, beware For they'll hand you over to councils, and you'll be beaten in synagogues, and you'll stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them. Now, Jesus might come back tomorrow. He might come back in this very next breath. But none of us have had to put up with this. If we're looking for signs, it hasn't got as bad as it can get. So Jesus says, run and hide. Run and hide. No. He says, as for you, the good news must first be proclaimed to all nations. He goes on to say, but don't worry, because you'll have a stable government. You'll have a strong religious institution in your church. I'll have your back in these things. Actually, no. He says the temples will fall, nations will fall, but the gospel will still be preached. And this is what the disciples had to come to grips with. Nothing institutional determines if the gospel goes out or not. That will be left to the disciples, to the people of God. When all else fails, you still have a message to give. That's the truth of this message. That's the truth we still need to hear today. When everything's crumbling around us, as we lose our culture, as nations enter into wars, as America seems to be in peril for some of us, denominations seem to be losing their influence, families reject people because of Jesus, what's the plan then? Jesus says, here's the plan. Go and tell my good news. If you lose your culture, if you lose your nation, if you lose your institutions, if you lose your denomination, if you lose your ministry programs, if you lose your family, then I'm going to abandon you because you've lost too much. No, he doesn't say that. He says, go and preach the good news, and I will be with you always, even till the very end of the age. And so we sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Nothing else matters. But something has gone askew in the American church when we think about the apocalypse and what the end means for us. It should be a call to wake up and get out there and share the news, knowing that Christ is with us always. But we focus in, just like the world world that watches all these Hollywood movies, just like Hollywood, we focus in on the doom and the gloom. And that's not what apocalyptic literature was for. If you pay close attention to the texts that are apocalyptic in the, in the Bible, they were always, almost always, written to a desperate people or a people who were soon to be desperate. False teachers, wars, famines, natural disasters, these things were already unfolding before them and these people were losing hope. And the biblical writers were coming in and saying, yeah, all these things are happening. But all of this tragedy is blinding you. This, this, this multitude of sin is blinding you from the fact that behind the curtain and the veil of our sins and our confusion stands a God who's still in control. Behind the veil of sin is a God who is there with you to bring victory even in the midst of suffering. The focus was not on the destruction for these people. They were already very much aware of suffering. Evil was real and evil is real. People are suffering. People were suffering. But look behind the veil and you can see a God at work. So get to work. That's what this is all about. God is still at work, so get to work. And When the end comes, you can rest from your labors. This is what Jesus was doing for his disciples because they were about to enter into the most desperate situation. Christ was about to die. And he was asking them... Can you still carry on? No matter what's happening in the world, as fires burn, as terror visits our doors, as nations continue to divide, if we believe that Christ is victorious, nothing can stop us in the church. We don't have to have anything else. Temples can fall. Nations can rise and fall. Earthquakes and fires can happen. But we have Jesus Christ, and we have his message. So let's settle that in our heart's college place. It's not a secret our denomination is coming into a storm. And decisions are going to be made in the days and months and years ahead. Potential to change our institution. Dr. Daniel and I, by the way, have no control over that. That's higher up the chain. And so the Methodist church has said, what is our way forward? And the answer changes day to day. And I can tell you that Dr. Daniel and I have come up with a plan for College Place. We know what our way forward is here. We have nothing else to lean on. Our way forward at College Place is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our way forward. What happens, College Place, if our institution fails? What happens, College Place, even if this building were to fail? Are we lost without our building? Are we lost without our institution? Will we quit? I hope not. We have each other. This is more important to me than anything else. We, as human beings, are more valuable than anything else. We're valuable to one another. Our family's more, more valuable. So no matter what comes our way, let us be a people focused on our mission. Because that was good enough for the disciples. And it should be good enough for us. We're called to be a family in unity. Let's not be pulled apart. Let's weather the storm. And then we, we'll have some tough discussions in our own family. But let's have it as a family. Let's not have it as if we all leave and point fingers. Let's do this together. And let's, above all, share the good news. Because that's all we're here for. That's the only reason we're here. Is to worship God and share the good news. Is that good enough for College Place? Because there's always victory in Jesus. As the band comes back up, I just want to remind you that we've talked a lot about giving. Uh, I want to remind you that we are in ending our campaign, our stewardship Uh, campaign in which we have asked you to think about what you can give if you are a regular giver or you plan to give this year. We'd love to know so that we can project what we can do next year. Uh, So we have a basket still up front. There's cards in the back. Also, the Gideons uh, will be at each door as you exit if you're thinking about doing something um, for them. So pray in these next moments what you will do. But what is it that you feel like in your heart would be too much for you to handle? What is too much for you to handle? When are you at the end of your rope? Because if you ever get there, guess what you still have? You still have the gospel. You have the gospel that saved you, and you can always give that. You, there, there's, there's nothing that can take that away from you, and you can be poured out. So College Place, let's be a church that gets poured out. So God will fill us up and bless us. This has been a production of College Place United Methodist Church. May God bless you richly upon hearing this message.